Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I'm a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. I'm Dora Germain. You're going to say what you are? No. That'll be for you to work out. You're going to hear us chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within. Arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Audio Boom. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Let them know what's going on over here, but for now, enjoy the podcast. Yay! Guest this week, Chris Spedding, one of the greatest guitar players to ever come out of the United Kingdom, and extremely underrated, yet rated at the same time because he's played with so many artists. But a studio musician along the lines of somebody like Carol Kay, who we mentioned on the podcast, fascinating story we talk about the sex pistols we talk about so many people that chris have played with he talks about modern day music he talks about what he's up to now so much coming up anyway nora germain how are you well i'm a little sad actually because the great guitar player pete hutlinger died i don't know if you know him but he's yes. amazing and he is a very interesting person um he had an artificial heart he had a, a pump that pumped his blood through his body, so he didn't have a heart, but he could still play like just heavenly um, fingerstyle guitar. Anyway, so he's died today, and um, it's very, very sad. If you guys, if you're listening, if you don't know Pete Hutlinger's music, you gotta check him out. Um, he's played with some people that have been on the podcast before, um, and uh, anyway, so Pete Hutlinger, thank you, Pete. You were amazing. And thank you for the music. So there you go. Thanks to Pete. Thanks to Lemmy. Thanks to David Bowie. Nora, what's thank happening? Alan Rickman. Yeah, what's what's going on here? What's happening with 2016? I have no idea. But I did see a really funny um, something um, on the internet. And I'll just say it really quickly. So David Bowie was 69. And Alan Rickman was 69. And so Donald Trump is currently 69. So... So, so, fingers crossed on that one. Just kidding. Okay. Okay, as Nora hopes for other people to die, uh, I'm just going to move on to... A, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll move on okay. to something, something brighter. Right, last week we spoke about uh, the, some of the richest people on earth, or the richest people on earth. Very interesting top 10, obviously, including Bill Gates, the people that run Walmart, uh, the woman that runs Oriel. What's her name again? Lillian Betancourt. Boom. Why, why do I know that? Why do I know that? Because we spoke why? about it last week and it's fresh in your mind. We spoke about that last week. The week prior to that, we spoke about some of the most powerful people on earth, some of the most influential human beings that have ever graced this earth. But this week, I have in front of me a list of the top-selling music artists of all time. Oh, I like this one. I like this one because as we look to the past, a lot of the people that were the biggest selling of all time, I think, really deserved it. So that's good. It's very inspiring. 
I have the top seven in front of me, okay? So I'm going to read out the seventh and the sixth. We're going to cut to the interview with Chris. And then when we come back, we want you to guess the top five, right? So I'm going to start off with number seven, right? So hold your breath no, right there. Is this um, how many records they sold or how much money they made or what? what is it? That's a good question, right? I I do believe it's how many. Um, yes, it's how many records they've sold, right? So and that's total records, not like single. This is everything. Every, that everything sold. combined, and I'm assuming the inclusion of downloads, right? Got it. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to read you at number seven, then I'll read you at number six, and when we come back. Wait, 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 wait. Are they in order from of anything? Yes. Okay, what's what's the order? The order is um, the, the, the top-selling artist is number one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Artist or band, I don't even know. I've not even scrolled up yet. It could be anybody. We don't know. We're going to find out, and that's what makes this damn thing so exciting, right? So, okay. number seven is Pink Floyd. Okay, you I like it. Right, you like that? You, are you surprised at that? Do you think they'd be... I would like to mention, some people don't know this, Pink Floyd did a recording with Stefan Grappelli, and it's resurfaced in recent years on the internet. Uh, it's, uh, I wish you were here. And and um, Stefan was on the recording session, and they, they decided to turn him down so much in the track that you can't really hear him. But recently it resurfaced, and they've turned up his solo um i'm not sure if he was on the original version or maybe they just it kind of was in the mix of things but now if you go online you can hear it so stefan grappelli with pink floyd which is pretty interesting a lot of people like it so there you go something from history books i sympathize when people are mixing things that they want to turn the violin player down i can relate yeah. to that right yeah i think on my own album that's what we're gonna do we're just gonna put the violin as low as possible and then everything else will just be okay. So therefore, you could make a fortune in karaoke violinist type thing. I love it when you say things like that to me. I just love it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that'll be great. You could yeah. sell backing tracks for violin players. Hell yeah. Right, there's, there you go. There's a little bit. Well, while we're talking about this this list with business acumen flying ref right and center, and I can't even speak. Number six, Nora. Yeah. Led Zeppelin. Now, One of my favorites. Great. Love them. Johnny Rotten. Fantastic. Right. That's number six, Led Zeppelin. Okay. Now, the top yeah. five gets very interesting indeed. And we're going to come back to this. We're going to cut to the interview with a legendary guitar player, Chris Bedding. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the top five. It's all coming up. <laughs> Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with legendary guitarist Chris Spedding. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Excellent. So, so much to talk about, um, but one of the things I've looked at, um, and there's been a lot of varying reports on this, is your relationship musically with the Sex Pistols. Um, as we know, yeah. you've you've denied the fact that you, you, you played in so many songs in the record. That was a, a, a rumour for a long time. So what was the relationship in general? Ah, well, um, going back to before I ever met the Sex Pistols, when I wanted to get into the retro 50s look, you know, like uh, in the early 70s when 
It's when people were still, you know, as musicians were still going around with long blow-dried hair and uh, uh, platform boots and flare pants, you know. Like, there was only one place where you could get, uh, like, a straight leg jeans and, and like, ro rocker type of 50s rocker type clothes. And that was at Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's shop called Let It Rock at the time because they were, you know, they were into the 50s look before they called it sex. So I knew Vivian and Malcolm. Uh, I also knew Chrissy Hind, who this was many years before The Pretenders, and she worked there um, in the shop. She also wrote for the New Musical Express, as you may know. So I knew her, and she called me up one day and said, you've got to come and see this band down the 100 Club, and it was this band that Malcolm had been talking about. Um, and I went and saw the Sex Pistols at the, uh, at the 100 Club. Um, and that's how I met them. Uh, so that's how it came about. Rather, the people that made my clothes introduced me to this band. Um, and this was would have been around 1976. Um, and I, just the previous year, had a, a hit record, Motorbiking. So I was, the, I was the pop star that everybody knew, and they didn't, were not totally unknown. So it was a bit of a reversal. <laughs> Later on, they became hugely famous, and I didn't have any more hits. So... <laughs> That's that's really the story of me and the Sex Pistols. When it get, became apparent that um, they were starting to get some notoriety, um, certain members of the musical press would come up to me at, uh, at bars, you know, like speakeasy, I would hang out there to say, oh, we hear that you're hanging out with the Sex Pistols and you have a reputation in this business, you know, you're going to blow it if you don't dissociate yourself with them, you know, because everybody... I suppose you might, might remember that everybody really couldn't take them at all. It was too much for a lot of people, the Sex Pistols. Now it might seem a little strange, but it was it was the case. So I said, well, that's an interesting opinion, you know, each to his own opinion. When did you see them? And they said, oh, well, we haven't seen, I haven't seen them, but we know they're terrible, you know. So I thought, well, I can do something about this because I have a lot of, experience in the studio so I can take them in and do some uh, produce some demos and I can suggest what songs they should demo and, uh, and and where to take them I sort of had a little bit of an entree into that side of things so I went to a rehearsal I picked their three best songs which were at the time problems pretty vacant and problems pretty vacant and no feelings those three songs were the best songs they had at that time. They hadn't written uh, God Save the Queen at that point. Otherwise, they'd have probably chosen that. But we went in and did those three songs at Majestic Studios. And um, I um, I didn't play on it. You know, I just produced them. And I did this thing of uh, not putting the red light on to make them nervous. Uh, and I think they were quite shocked that I'd actually got these three songs down and they hadn't even realised that we'd been recording. I did that so that we, you know, I wouldn't get any nervous sort of mistakes or anything, you know. And so it was a very easy session. They were very efficient and very professional. And I took it to um, EMI. I took it to Mickey Most at Rec. Um, most people hated hated it. Um, I took it to the producer, Chris Thomas, who they wanted me to, who ended up producing it. Chris Thomas just assumed it was me playing the guitar. <laughs> um, and that's why I put him right. Um, in the end, when there's a, a lot of notoriety in the musical press, and they, they, I think they were probably the only 
group that has got like a feature on the front page of all the musical press without ever having had a record out. Mm. Like all these people up north or in your, your neck of the woods would not have heard any of this music, and yet they were totally into the punk look. Mm. This was, you know, we're talking about 1976. So this is quite, uh, I was quite excited by this. This is quite a new phenomenon for me to be sort of around all this excitement when it was happening. And that's the story, the complete story of my association with the Sex Pistols. It kind of ended then because I handed it over to Chris Thomas who ended up producing them. I had nothing more to do with it. Interesting. Um, one thing that I've always thought of about the Pistols, I think there's a couple of really underrated musicians in that band. Um, Glenn, oh, yeah. Glenn Matlock obviously being one of them. How much was he out in my just in, in my estimation? Um, I thought he was kind of almost the figurehead musically. Steve, oh, I love all the, the guys in that band, but um, I, I thought that he's up with one with the kind of the the real songwriting brain. Would was that would that be correct from your experience with him? Um, I believe he wrote most of the uh, early early hits. Uh, well, hits, no, the the well known songs. Um, I believe he did. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of them were um, collaborations with uh, Johnny Rotten and maybe Steve Jones had something to do with it. But yes, he was a talented uh, writer and a good, really good musician. I and I really enjoyed uh, the way the rhythm section sounded with uh, Glenn's bass playing and 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 Paul Cook's drumming. Um, which they kind of lost on the uh, Bollocks uh, album because I don't think Glenn's bass playing is really apparent on there. Mm. A lot of it is is um, Steve Jones overdubbing the the bass afterwards, and so you know, uh, unfortunately, Glenn is not that apparent on, on on that album apart from his songwriting, which is very apparent on there. Yeah. Oh yeah, they. Uh, I, I was. I, I when I saw them at the Hundred Club, it was obvious that there was some good musicianship going on there. Um, I've been playing the guitar for about 20 years at that point, and I think Steve Jones has been playing it for about two years. And I couldn't figure out a way of playing that music more more effectively than Steve Jones was. I thought he was really spot on. And uh, I just thought they were fantastic. Yeah, really good. Really good timing. Really good timing he had. Um, yeah. You've worked with so many uh, so many great musicians over the years. I'm just going to just gonna throw a couple of names at you, and, and you can just take it from there, your experience of working with them generally. Uh, on your uh, on one of the pages on the internet that describes everything you've done in your career, um, says that you've had uh, done some work with Ginger Baker. What uh, what went on there? What was, what was... Uh, that was um, after Ginger Baker broke up with um, Baker Gervitz Army. And this this was a, just around the Sex Pistols time. This was about seventy six as well. Um, my uh, colleague in the Sharks, the lead singer Snips also known as Steve Parsons, who I'm still working with, by the way. We're doing another Sharks album next month. Um, uh, and uh, the Joyland album that I just put out, he co-produced it and co-wrote a lot of it with me. Uh, he was the lead singer in, in Baker Govitt's Army, after the Sharks. So Ginger Baker, after the Baker Govitt's Army broke up, made a solo record. Steve was invited to be the singer on this record. Uh, and Steve mentioned me to Ginger as a possible guitar player for the session. So, yeah, I played on, the, I think it was called Ginger Baker and Friends, of which uh, our friend uh, Chris Welch did the shortest Melody Maker review on record. It was called Ginger Baker and Friends, and Chris Welch's review was, 
with friends like these, dot, dot, dot. So <laughs> I guess he didn't like it. So <laughs> I saw Chris recently reminded him of that. I think he was a bit embarrassed, but uh, we're, we're, we're good friends. Um, yeah, it, it, apparently it wasn't that great a record, but it was wonderful to play with Ginger. Mm-hmm. Uh, having also played with his old mate Jack Bruce uh, uh, much earlier on. Um, so, yeah, he's a wonderful musician to play with. Um, yeah, so that's that's the story of me and Ginger Baker. Yeah, it's a relatively tame story in comparison to a lot of the other Ginger Baker stories, but it's it's good all, <laughs> all the same. But uh, unbelievable drummer, very, very different as well. Well, when you're working with him in the studio, the guy is all concentration right. and all business, and there's no messing around. Uh, so there's not that many of those stories uh, when he's actually working, you know, uh, in the studio and he's doing his thing. He's, he's, he's totally committed and totally on. Makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the names that jumps out as well that you've you've worked with is Elton John. Tell us about that experience. Um, it was one of those sessions, you know, you get called, you come up, there's an orchestra, there's a conductor, you've got a chart to read. Uh, you're in and you're out, you know, three hours, you're in and you're out. I think I did the, the title track for Mad Mad Across the Water, which was uh, a full orchestra and we had charts. I think Herbie Flowers was on bass and Barry Morgan was on drums uh, and Paul Buckmaster was conducting and it was at Trident Studios. Um, just one morning or afternoon, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Much, no interaction with Elton really he was just there doing his job you know his head was down at the piano you know maybe doing a guide vocal or he might even have been in the control box not playing at all i can't remember so i can't remember much about it apart from that it was a full orchestral session you know it wasn't one of those things where the over the, the rhythm section came in and then a week later they had the strings in to do the overdubs it was all done at the same time and paul buckmaster was there you know doing the conducting the arranging so it was one of those sessions it's very very interesting because i've been fortunate enough to interview the bass player carol Kay. Um, oh yeah. A, a, yeah a couple of times and um similar answers to yourself i'm naming these people that she's played with and it's just like you described there another day at the office you're saying yeah i can't really remember much about it i just get the call we did it i can remember it kind of but not really so uh, just another day at the office that's right it is a bit yeah when when you do so many you know we're on call doing three sessions a day six or seven days a week you know and i wasn't doing it all that i mean i had time off to do the sharks i'd but the 70s were pretty much like one session blur you know there were (laughs) like one sort of session in one huge studio and you know so yeah so with that in mind with the amount of people that have that would contact you so often and still do asking you to play on the records play with them live um loaded question i know but what advice would you give to other musicians that are looking to do that for a living be a session player is there anything that springs to mind any knowledge you would like to kind of pass on well i think when i first started they just needed a guitar player and i was um uh, like in the late 60s, well, during the 60s, the two go-to guitar players were Jim Sullivan, big Jim Sullivan, who passed away recently, and Jimmy Page, the two Jims, as I used to call them. You know, if you got the two Jims on a record, you got a hit record. Uh, but fortunately for somebody like me, Jimmy Page went to form Led Zeppelin and big Jim Sullivan went with Tom Jones to Las Vegas. In the so I left a big hole for moi to come in. And, you know, so I always... Uh, I like to sort of uh, say thank you to the two gyms for uh, taking off and letting a, a big hole in the session bookers 
diary for for me. Uh, I think I was required to just play what was required for a, a generic guitar part in the beginning. Later on, when I became more known, I think people used to call me for my sound because I'd established a style and a sound. So later on, it became I could be more picky. You know, I think I I was one of the, the first session guys to start do what the Americans did, which was to charge double union scale, which cut out all the people that just wanted any guitar player. It was a generic guitar part that anybody could do. All those other guys coming up, they got the opportunity to to do those, and I I I would be able to stay at home. And then when I did come out, I would get more money. So. What actually happened was I didn't actually end up earning any more money, but I had twice as much time off, which is suited me, because I wasn't doing like three sessions a day, which could, would, could burn you out. So I was protecting myself from being burnt out and keeping my income up by doing the double scale thing. And then, then after that, lots of other English session musicians started doing the same thing. Now, hardly anybody works for union scale because it's ridiculously low. It seems ridiculously low now. It's the minimum you would want to pay anybody. Um, so, yeah, in the beginning, uh, I was kind of every man's guitar player, playing what was required. You know, I think I must have, I must have done it all right to keep getting booked. And then later on, yeah, towards the end of the 70s, 75, 76, 77 and 78, I was booked more because of what my style was. They wanted me. Uh, so that was probably more fulfilling. Um, I can't say I, did, I played on more hits. It's kind of a bit of a Russian roulette, which which one becomes it. The least likely one, you know, the one you forget about, is the one that will become a huge hit. Um, and the one that you have great hopes of, that you think you really played, you played well, that you think will go down in history as your uh, career best, never heard of again, you know. <laughs> so you can't tell. So I've given up saying, anticipating one of your questions that's coming up, what's your favourite uh, uh, session you've been on and who do you like working with? Okay. It's put impossible to answer because you like the records to sell, you know, uh, and you, there's, no, there's no knowing. Maybe if you did um, a record for one whoever you, whatever name I mentioned, you know, the million-selling record like Jay-Z or something like that, the record I'd do with them, it would be a total flop, you know. And then some totally unknown person, I'd do a, a session for them and it would be a huge hit. So th there's no uh, there's no real rule about it. Is there any young uh, guitarist and musician um, that has really caught your eye over the last couple of years that you think they've got a lot of potential or I really like what they're doing? Is there any that springs to mind at all? Um, well, over the years there have been sometimes a don't fulfill their potential or they die tragically on us. Someone like Amy Winehouse would be an example. Um, really tragic because of, you know, it's all very well somebody like David Bowie passing away, which he did very recently, which is a very sad occurrence. But when somebody like Amy passes away that only had one or two albums out, um, it's really sad because we, who knows what, what she would have given us if she'd have lived. Um, you know, same with a lot of those people that died early. All those people that died, you know, in their 20s uh, throughout rock history. You know, who knows what that we would have got from Buddy Holly or Eddie Cochran or uh, any of those people, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know. Um, 
yeah um i mentioned amy winehouse who i think it was fantastic um i can't think of any guitar players uh I really like, I'm a big fan of Matt Bellamy from Muse. I reckon he's very, very innovative and in taking things forward. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm not really up on everybody, I must admit. I, I, what will filter through to me for the strangest reasons, I'll be sitting in a, I'll be at the gym and a record will come on and I'll have to go and ask somebody who it was, you know, or I'll be in a store, you know, and the record will be playing. And I, I, I find I hear my new music like by accident these days. So I'm going to have to check it, check those guys out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll forward you a couple of links. So you're recording okay. next month uh, with the Sharks, the new album that you said you're recording next month. So what have you planned for, for this year? Anything planned above and beyond that? Um, well, my immediate plans are going to play uh, The War of the Worlds is going to the Dominion Theatre in the West End next month. And so I'm going to be doing that. Um, it'll probably go on for a little while. Uh you can take days off from those those shows. You know, I can put a, a sub in if, if if a good gig comes along. So if a good Sharks gig comes along, for instance, I'll be able to do it. I'll be able to put a dep in, you know, a substitute in at the War of the Worlds and, uh, and go and do it. And it'll just keep me occupied. Uh, it'll get me into London because I'm not in London at the moment. I'm down in um, Sussex. I'm going to be moving up to London to do the shark uh, in the afternoons off, you know, from the show. I'm free to do the shark sessions, so I'm going to be doing those in uh, February. Um, and the record should be ready for the uh, summer. Excellent. Well, Chris, thanks very much for joining me in the podcast today. Always wanted to speak to you. You've played in so many great records, and um, okay. it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love your style of guitar playing. Best of luck this year with the new Sharks album, the show you got coming up, and thanks once again. Okay. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with Nora Germain. Hello! Nora, say hi to the world. Hi, world. Nora, what did we speak yeah. about before the interview? We, you, well, you told me the top two of the... I'm going to try again, okay? Hit me. You told me two of the top seven... Uh, best-selling artists of all time, and we covered that it was Pink Floyd with now number seven spot, Led Zeppelin at number six, Boom. and now there are five more that I have to guess. Is that right? That is exactly it, word for word. That is precisely what we did before the Chris Spedding interview. That was so precise. Yeah. It was precision. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A great description there by Nora. Great, great analysis. Right. Thank you. Thank Top you. Top five, hit me. What do you think? Guess, guess, go for it. Right, now you can I either... I don't have to guess them in order, right? Because that would be really hard. Right, just, I tell you what, just fling out, you've got five shots at this, right? So just see if you can get the top five, not in order. Just boom, 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 Ooh! boom, right? I'm good, feeling good. Okay, ready? Yeah. Michael Jackson. Boom! Top five, top five. You made the top five, right? That's one. The Beatles. Boom! That's two, right? So you've got three more to do. Let's see if you can get them. See if you can get the top, the, the three that's in this five. I will be so impressed. I'll give you $100. You don't fucking have $100. You and I both. Just kidding. I've got a couple of dollars in the drawer in the kitchen. Okay, okay, okay. I'll take those crumply old dollars I can't even use in California. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Um. Right. It gets really tricky because there are a lot of people that could maybe be on it, 
but maybe don't quite make it. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Um. Oh, I don't know. I'm okay. I'm gonna try, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm gonna try. Okay. Go for it. The Eagles? No. No, okay, okay. I'm thinking too small. Okay, okay, okay. Let me try again. Oh, but there are so many. Okay. Um, you, you'll kick yourself. I'm going to kick myself? You'll kick yourself. Do you use that expression in the States? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. You're going to okay. kick yourself. Okay, okay. I'm going to kick myself. Okay. Um, that isn't actually a, a clue. The, the 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 person or the band that are on this, they don't kick themselves. But you're you're just it's just going by the saying you're going to kick yourself because it's quite obvious. What the hell are you talking about? It's obvious. Come on, come on. Think, think. Come on. Give me a hint. Uh huh. Uh-huh. What? Oh for fuck's sake! Come on, think about it. Think about what noise you just made. I went like that. I went, uh-huh. I don't know that weird thing. Come on, think about it. <sighs> 1950s. 1950s. This person released the first single in the 50s. another guess but maybe it's not the how, right how thing. can you not be getting this right don't change the subject how can you not get this seriously the release i have stuff. another guess though i have another guess Go for it. is um are the rolling stones on it no god damn it who's on this freaking thing okay um um uh-huh. okay. what uh-huh. Uh-huh. oh elvis yes Oh, yeah. Really? I didn't think he'd be on it. Come on. It's Elvis for fuck's sake. Okay, 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 okay. Right, so top five. Within this five, we've got uh, Michael Jackson. No, no, no. I'm not going to read it out. I'm just going to read out who you've guessed so far. Michael Jackson. No, I know, I know. Okay. Michael Jackson. uh, Beatles and Elvis. Two more. Two. Come on. Two. Think about it. Oh, and then we have Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. They're in the they're in six and seven, but the top five is the key thing that we're focusing on. So I've got to pick two people who are more famous than Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, or at least who sold more records. Yes. I'm gonna just massage my face. <laughs> Think big specs. <laughs> Big specs. Aye. Piano. Alan John? Yes. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. I was surprised at that. I thought, you know, I came across him, but I, in my head, but I didn't think he would be on it. Right. And then the last one, because we're taking forever here. It's a female artist and she's uh, probably the most fam- famous, one of the most famous female singers in the world ever, if not the most famous. Madonna? Yes. Boom. Shakalak. That, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, I'm, I'm away for the mic here. That is the top seven. And the top seven in order is this. Pinker the Floyd. Aleda the Zeppelin. Elton McJohn. Madonna. Michael Jackson. Elvis Aaron Presley. And the Beatles. That's that. crazy. 
No, that is not who I thought it would be. Right. Now, I'll just quickly read to you this. Pink Floyd, an estimated 250 uh, million revenue generated. Okay. Oh, sorry, two, 250 sales, excuse me. Um, and to, sales, wow, they're doing great. Uh, the Beatles, 600 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of Parmesan. That is a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of records being sold. So that being said, Nora, uh, tell us the latest. Tell us the latest about the book, the album, everything that goes along with it. Well, uh, last night I was up very late um, editing these new videos I have of um, us recording in the studio in New Orleans, and so um, they're not ready yet because they're sort of promotion for the album. I'm really excited, but. I did put some new clips on Instagram, and I also put some exclusive stuff on my Pledge Music page. If you guys um, go to Pledge Music and type in my name, Nora Germain, uh, I've got all these updates. And so I put, there's a, a video I put up today, and it's um, a little video of me in the studio, and we're arranging on the fly. So we decided to record this song once we all got together, and we didn't have any um plan to do it beforehand there's no chart or anything we just sort of decided to do it and so it's a little video there of me sort of explaining my idea of the arrangement to the band um so if you want to know how we arrange on the fly you can check out my videos on pledge music and um got some new stuff coming up so there you go today's big video day on the fly means uh, improvised making up as you go along oh sorry yeah on the fly means uh shooting from the hip that means um, improvise and go like that's another American expression. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you. I'm helping cross the bridge. I'm helping crossing the Atlantic. Thank you, Scott. You are the boat of God. You're an atheist, so I take that as a massive insult. Okay. I'm the boat. Well, I'm the boat of me. I'm my own boat. All right. I have my own boat, and you're not welcome on it. Fine. I don't need a boat. Not as your main, ladies and gentlemen. Big thank you to her. Big thank you to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Elton John, Madonna, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, and the Beatles for all being far too big to be on this podcast. <laughs> They're far too... When I, if I would sold an estimated at 600 million, I wouldn't come on this piece of shit podcast, would you? Yeah, I would. Hell yeah, I would. Nora, that's why you're my friend, and that's why you're welcome on my boat anytime. Norris remain on the podcast. Big thanks to Chris Sperring. We will see you guys next week because currently we are sitting at episode 96. So by my fast math, we are only four away from the big one zero zero, And that promises to be a cracker. A, a, a cracker amongst crackers. But what also is going to be a cracker is next week's the big nine seven. That's the real, that's the real show. Anyway. Nine seven. That's when I was born. 97. Was it? Yeah. You're just a whippersnapper. Mm-hmm. Norrisyourmain.com, scottkibbe.com forward slash podcast, SoundCloud, Audioboom. Tell all your friends, tell people that aren't your friends about this podcast. Spread the word. Thanks to Ron North for producing, who turned 30 about a week and a half ago. Say, say a big happy birthday to Ron Nora. Oh! Ron, I've got something for you. Hold on. Sorry, hold on. I'm just going to... Hold on. Okay, hold on. <coughs> Me, 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 me. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. Here we go. Ron, this is for you, okay? I hope that you enjoy. Okay. <laughs>
Ron, the loyal producer that produces this stuff. I mean, everybody just has to listen to us talk shit every week. Ron has to sit and edit it all. What a, what a horrible task he's got. I but think they say he's a very patient person. To say the least. Ron, we love you. Thank you very much. A massive part of the podcast. We need to get him on chatting more. Uh, and we'll make that happen. We'll make that happen, ladies and gentlemen, because we do that kind of thing. Anyway, we're talking forever. We'll see you guys next week. You usually sound something. Oh. Should I say that? Um, happy day! <laughs>